As was this morning, this was not my original intended sermon for tonight, but sometimes things just won't, God just won't leave me alone with certain things, so. Who here believes that everybody can be saved? Everyone. There's an option for everyone to be saved. God can save anyone. Amen. Now, there's a thing going on out there amongst the Baptists right now. It's called the reprobate doctrine. And basically what it is, is it takes certain times when the term reprobate is used in the Bible. And it basically says that because in Jeremiah, it refers to reprobate silver. And likewise, that's where the term comes from. After silver has been refined a certain number of times, it becomes, they take the, the good silver out and they take the bad silver, they throw it into another pot. And then they try to refine it again to get more silver out. And you can only do it six, seven, eight times, something like that, before there's really no more silver going to come out. So then what they would do is they would take the silver and throw it out on like a path and use it almost like stones, like we use like a walking path. So the reprobate silver was a term used because the term reprobate means to be rejected. To be rejected by the person who's testing the silver. Now, the Bap there's a Baptist doctrine being called the reprobate doctrine that says people essentially can become reprobate to where they'll do something or whatever, and then God decides, okay, he's turned them over, they're reprobate, they can't be saved anymore. There's no more option for that. That's out the, out the window now. It actually is odd because it comes from kind of a concept in Calvinism, where Calvinism believes that God only elects certain people to be saved and the rest are predestined to hell. But these are people who are not Calvinists who are also saying that there's literally just an action. You can do something, an activity that you can do that will, from this point on, you're not being able to be saved. And so my sermon tonight is the reprobate doctrine is stupid. <laughs> no, it's, it is stupid. And not only is it stupid, though, but I believe it's dangerous. And for many reasons, the last one I'll use it to do at the end, but it's dangerous because it puts us into a wrong mindset. Because who, the, the, the easiest, and I'll just put it out straightforward what the point is, is who are we to tell who can and can't be saved? We don't know. We can't tell what's in somebody's heart. We can't tell what, they, what path they and God are walking on to get them to where they need to be to be saved. So we can't ever call somebody reprobate because we don't know. We do, if you're going to make that decision, well, that's on you because I'm not willing to make that call. So we're going to read in Romans 1, and everybody makes this like this is the reprobate chapter. And the craziest thing about it is, yeah, it mentions the word reprobate, but if, if you're reading, thinking about what Paul would be talking about at the time, it makes no sense to make the entire chapter about reprobates. And, and, and especially because if you ask most Baptist pastors who are doing this now and preaching this, they'll tell you there's only one thing that can make you reprobate. One. That's it. Of all the sins in the world, there's only one. Homosexuality. That's what they're saying. They're saying homosexuality because in here it says they burned in their lust one towards another and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. 
the thing that's crazy is, so there's literally one sin of all the sins in the world. There's one that's like, nah, you do that one, you're kind of done. That makes very little sense to me. <laughs> very little sense to me. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read this. And I want the entire time you're reading this to think as Paul is trying to do. And Paul is writing this to Roman Christians. And he's trying to give them a way they can explain the gospel. So what he does is he starts out by explaining our condition as people. All of our condition as people. Everyone. But what he's doing specifically is using Israel's rejection of God as sort of the template for it. Meaning they should have known better but they chose to do the wrong thing. So I'm giving that right up front because I want you to, as we read, to keep these things in your mind. The first several verses of Romans 1, Paul starts out like he typically starts out his, <clears throat> as he typically starts out his sermons. And verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel, which he had promised afore by his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ. So he's making sure that we know that this is, he's talking to Christians here. He's, he's giving Christians an explanation, a way that they can explain the gospel. Eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might... Be a, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comfortable, comforted, that we may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, be, not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, hitherto, that I may have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Again, he's making sure they understand that he wants to come. He can't come. Every time he tries to make, make it there, he gets God leads him away from Rome. But he's giving them the gospel. He wants them to know a way they can present the gospel. 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's where we see that he's using that because he's getting ready to use a template. He's getting ready to use the experience of the Jewish people to show sort of like a small version of what we as a whole greater world have dealt with from the beginning of time till now. 
17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall inherit, or the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Again, he's making sure that we know that God has put the knowledge of good and bad on our hearts. The fact that today, in this very, to this very day, people will, one of the most often things, brought up things that an atheist will bring up is, if God's good, then why are children starving in Africa? Or why are children doing it in Africa? The answer to that is simple. The fact that you care that children are starving in Africa is proof that God is good and God exists because you want there not to be. The fact that you know right and wrong instinctively and know that children shouldn't starve in Africa is how we know there is a God. If we were nothing more than animals, we wouldn't care. There would be no care. We might even care so much as for our family, but beyond our immediate family, we wouldn't care. So the fact that we know God has made it unmistakable, you can see in your own heart the way you deal with people, the way you interact with people, God laid it on our hearts, the burden to want to seek after God, to want to know God, to know the truth of God. Therefore, we are without excuse. We can't be without excuse because God gives everybody the ability to believe. Everyone has the ability to believe. However, some are harder than others and choose not to believe. Now, 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Right there is how we know that he's using Israel as an example of what everybody does. Keep, your, keep yourself here in Romans, and we're going to jump to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel is... He's after... After Jeremiah and Lamentations, but before Daniel. Okay. So Ezekiel and them were cast out of their homeland, out of Jerusalem, because of their sin and idolatry. Their, their punishment was to be cast out, to be kicked out, to be thrown out. So... And Ezekiel, is one of the things Ezekiel keeps doing is he keeps lamenting and going, why, God, why would you do this? Why would, where you're supposed to be your chosen ones, where your chosen nation, why would you do this? Why would you do this? So in Ezekiel 8, 1, it says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell, upon, fell there upon me. 
Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire that appeared of the loins, even downward fire, and from the loins upward as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand, and took me by the lock of the head, and spirited me up to between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the vision of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was seated, uh, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoked to jealousy. First of all, I just like to point out the fact that God literally reached down and grabbed him by the hair and pulled him out. <laughs> it literally just went, <laughs> I got to show you something. So I just like to point that out, that God, sometimes God, sometimes God means business when, he's, when he has something to show you. Four says, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. The glory means that the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. Because the glory of God can only be where the Ark of the Covenant was. So for the glory of God to be there, that means the Ark of the Covenant was there currently. So what he's saying is this was in the past. This wasn't current, this was in the past. Because the Ark of the Covenant had been hid at this point. Five says, and he said unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lift up mine eyes the way toward the north, and beheld the north at the north, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far from my sanctuary, but turn thee again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, I beheld a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So when I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping thing, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients, meaning elders, of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chamber of his imaginary. For they say, the Lord sees us not. The Lord has forsaken the earth. See, in, in, literally they were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing children. They were doing all kinds of things in Israel. Worshiping animals. God says, don't make any images of forming. Why? Because he's not like anything on this earth. And yet they had every form of abominable creature and using it in place of God. That's the reason why they were kicked out of their homeland. They were worshiping and they were doing it in the temple. If we continue to read on, they show that in the temple, the men were putting their back towards the Holy of Holies and looking towards the sun so they could bow down and worship the sun. So we see that in the very... Words are used, creeping things, abominable creation, creatures, you know, corruptible. Now let's go back to Romans. 
And in the 21st verse, it says, because that when they knew God, they had no, the, the Jewish people had no reason not to. They had literally the temple of God where he sat on the mercy seat. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. God said, see what they do in their minds? They imagine these things. Because you imagine it first, and then you do it with your with your hands. It starts in the head, and then it works out to action. That's why Christ said that even if you look at a woman to lust, you might as well have done it, because if you do it long enough, you will do it. But he says, they become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. And again, we have this, this, if we want to go back, we can look at other parts. Josiah had to cleanse out the temple shrines where they had prostitutes, where they were doing they were doing religious sexual things and stuff like that. So he's saying they were using, they were worshiping themselves, the creature, more than the creator. So God, Paul is using Israel as the template, and he's talking about the world as a whole. Because you can take this and use it also to the world, the greater world. Adam and Eve, then you have, they have children and Seth. The people reject God, become evil, and God has to judge them. Then you have Noah. Noah himself immediately starts doing things that he knows are wrong, getting drunk, having issues. So knowing, being wise enough to know, having God in their heart, they still do bad things. This is all of us. This is not talking about just homosexuals. It's not talking about just people who are, say, some form of idol worshiper, a Hindu, or something like this. This is everybody. This is everybody, and it's, if you notice, he uses past tense, meaning they did, they did, because he's using Israel and Jerusalem and the temple as the example. But this is eternal. This is the, this is the fallen state of man. All of us deal with this every day. We deal with it every day, all the time. We're constantly imagining vain things that only we would want. God would not even want for us. So, we're going to go and we're going to look and continue to read and see how that even the concept of, and don't get me wrong, homosexuality is a sin. It is. But many things are sin. And many people fall into sin. And we do habitual sins. There's people that there's, I know somebody who works at a hospital, and they talk about a doctor who is a deacon at their church and all the things, has repeated affairs on their wife over and over again, knows better, sits in church and hears the sermons and amens the sermons, and then goes out and does it does anyways. Now, that person may not be saved. They may, but that's not for me to make the call. However, that is something that somebody who knows better should be avoiding. It is a practiced sin that they should be avoiding. It doesn't just pertain to one sin. This is all sins. 
We all like, we all have our own sin that we like to practice. We all have it. There, there'll be one. I mean, a person who doesn't drink, a person who doesn't cheat, a person who doesn't have any issues. Your thing might be screaming at your children because you have an anger problem. Your children, if you don't have an anger problem, you might like to sip on the wine a little bit too much. If you don't have a drinking problem, you will have something. Paul refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. I believe God gives us all a thorn in the flesh. That way it's to keep us humble. So we always have something reminding us of how that we need God. Because if we ever really arrived at a point where we thought we were perfect, we would then immediately change it around and start to think that it was something we did. As soon as we arrived, we would think it's something we did. Not that God was gracious enough to take something from us. So we'll never be perfect. We'll always have that thing. And it might switch throughout life. As you get older, things might change. We'll always have that thing, that thorn in our flesh, that if it wasn't for that, I feel like I'd be close to God. If it wasn't for that, I feel like I'd have a, I'd have a good testimony. We'll always have that one thing. So it's real easy to pick just one and say, oh, well, this person who does this, they're really bad. I'm only kind of bad because I have a lesser sin. <sighs> yeah, it's not, it's not how it works. It's just not how it works. So we're going to continue reading in 26. It says, for this cause, meaning because they imagined things in their mind, because they knew better and they did it anyways. He's talking about people who should believe. He's not talking about people in the world who have never heard the gospel, who happen to be living a sinful life. He's talking about these are people who should know better. The, he's talking about the, the, the Jewish people who at the time that with the first temple, they should have known better. Because he's saying, 26, for this cause, what cause? Of changing the creator, worshiping. God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. I honestly believe that that term is both, it's a, it's a loaded term. It's referring to the fact that they were doing the temple prostitution. It's the fact of the, that they started doing abortions and stuff. Because abortion, people act like that's a new thing. They were writing essays against that in the Catholic Church. And Luther wrote essays against the fact that nuns were having abortions in the 15th century. 16th century. It's been along, around a long time. Literally one of the oldest recipes ever found in China is actually how to make a concoction to, that a woman could drink that will force an abortion. So abortion has been around for a long time and it is an abomination unto God. It is one of the ultimate abominations. So I believe these are the types of abominations that was going on. When it says Use it for something unnatural. Well, why would somebody be using an abortion? Because they're using their body for what it wasn't naturally made for. They're using sex as a tool or as a trade or as a something, as a job. And it's not what it was made for, to be between a man and wife in marriage and to have children and to be used as something to comfort and to bring together people. So using it unnatural, it doesn't have to be a particular way. It can be any way that isn't the way that it was intended. So they use in the 26. Women did change your, the nature you uh, did change the nature use into that which is against nature. 27. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, 
burned in their lust one towards another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. So, again, if you go to back, and we're not going to go there because it's a long story, Josiah, when he decided he was going to bring Israel back under God's rule, the first thing he did is it says he broke down the prostitutes' temples and the sodomites. Sodomites are people who worship, who the, the, the term is somebody who is a male prostitute for a pagan shrine. That's what the term refers to. So he's saying, again, these men were doing homosexual practices, sure, but they were doing it in some perverted pagan worship type of thing. So, and again, every time in Kings and Chronicles, they talk about cleansing the land. The first thing they do is break down the prostitutes and the sodomites uh, temples. So that means every time the people were in error, that crept up, that crept up. And we see it today as we get farther in America, we go from being a very somewhat Christian nation to a less Christian nation. We see it cropping up. More and more. It's something that happens. It's a, it's more of a result than it is the cause of. It doesn't cause us to fall. It's because we're getting farther away from God. It's a result. It's a symptom of the problem. It is not the problem itself. The problem, of course, is just sin and rejection of God. So 27, it says, or 28, it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So, that's where they get it. They say, oh, it refers to homosexuality. Oh, it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The thing is, is to make the jump from that sentence to... These people perform homosexual acts, and so they're never able to be saved again. It's ridiculous. We would say the same thing about it. We'd say the same thing about abortion. There are women who perf- who've gotten abortions that we bring them into the church, and we say it shouldn't have happened, but let's work to get past it. Let's work to overcome it. It's the same thing. It's the same. The only difference is some things are male issues and some things are women issues. And we don't always have the same issues. They're different amongst who it is. Therefore, if men are working with other men to do things unseemly, they don't have to worry about abortions and children and such like that. Women, if they're doing stuff like that, that happens to be one of the things that can result. And so we, we, we sin differently because of the different nature of our bodies, the different, the different uses of our bodies. And... To point this out, to make this just a little obvious, and I'm going to go a little long just because I went short today, so buckle in. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6. So we were just pretty much there with Ezekiel. It's only a couple pages over. Not going to be that long, don't worry. Just making the point, and then we're out. Are sticking. This Bible must have got wet or something. Okay. 
So, Jeremiah 6, starting in the 28th verse, it says, <clears throat> well, I'll just give you some background. Before that, it says God basically, the reason why God is angry at the Israel is because he held them up to be a nation that everybody should look to, to see what's right and what's good and the right way to do things. And instead of doing that, they turned their back and they became a, a symbol of what you shouldn't do and how you shouldn't act. And so in 28, it says, They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. They are brass and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows are burned, and lead is the lead is consumed of the fire. The founder melteth in vain, for the wicked are not plucked away. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord has rejected them. Now, they talk about the reprobate, because again, how I said that when reprobate silver, the people, they would take and throw it out and use it for like gravel or something. The thing is, is while that's what Jeremiah is using the analogy for, he's not saying, did, did God take Israel and throw them out and just never, leave them alone and never touch them again, never deal with them again, and say, I'm not your God anymore, say you're not saved? You're not. No, he said, I'm going to cast you out, and I'm going to bring you back. He cast them out for 70 years, and then he brought them back. He said, and the whole end times, the whole purpose of the end times is to bring them back for real. Because, of course, Ezekiel says he brought them back into the land, but because they don't believe him in their hearts, they're, they're dead. So they're in the land. Even today, they're in the land. They're back. But they don't believe in the Christ. They don't believe in the Messiah, so they're dead. They're, well, they're they're, they're a shell of a, of a being. They're there, but they're not alive spiritually. So when God said Israel's reprobate silver, which that means they get cast out, they get thrown out, did he reject them forever and forever and they can't get saved? No. Matter of fact, the, 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 the purpose is he's throwing them out so that they can get basically get their, their punishment so that they can come back. So that they can work in themselves their punishment so that they can then see the error of their way and come back. See, if you read in 30th verse, it says, Reprobate silver shall men call them. Men will call them. The Jewish people have been persecuted and called all kinds of things. Even in the church, Martin Luther, go read some of his stuff. He says some vile things about Jewish people. They are called reprobate <laughs> to this day by a lot of people. But the end times, the whole purpose is to bring them back. They're not gone forever. God didn't call them reprobate. Now, interestingly, the word here reprobate and the word rejected are the exact same word in Hebrew. So what he's saying is the people will say they're reprobate, which means rejected. Because God has rejected them. Well, for why? Because of all the th sins that they've done. Because of all the things that they've done. But so we can see that it refers to them being rejected. Now, let's hop over to Isaiah 41. So we're going to go to the left in your Bibles a few more pages again. Uh, Isaiah 41. 
and starting in the eighth verse, it says, it's talking about them worshiping idols and stuff like that. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Cast away, that's the same word for reprobate in the Hebrew. See, we use different words because English has like 700,000 words. Hebrew only has 6,000 words in the entire language. So there, it's a very much more, the words mean what they mean. There's not a lot of, of nuance. So when God says something, he says it. We like to play with the words. Well, what does that word mean? What does this word mean? Well, it means what it means. And that is God saying, you guys are making idols. You guys are doing this stuff. I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to knock you down a peg. But he's saying right there, he's saying, though you're going to be punished, I'm still considering you my servant. I'm still doing that. And I will not cast thee away. So even though people will call them reprobate, God says, I'm not casting you out. It may appear that way, but God is faithful to his promise to save us, to save Israel, to preserve a remnant for himself of Israel. God will not let, God is not a liar. He will not let something you do undo something he promised. If it's not, you couldn't get yourself saved, so you can't get yourself unsaved. It's God does things for his purposes and for his reasons. The term reprobate also in the Old Testament, as you read, is the word approval. Approval. So if we flip back to Romans and we finish out our whole thing here, it refers to the fact that in the 28th verse, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient. God gave them over and said, okay, you can do things I don't approve of. Fine. That doesn't mean God turned his back. That means we turned our back. So this is not a reprobate doctrine saying that there are certain people who can't be saved. Everybody can be saved. And to just hammer it home just a little more, we're going to finish out this chapter and we're going to see how that in the 29 through 32, it says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, which fornication, porneia in the Greek, actually means like sexual orgies for like pagan gods. So fornication, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, debate, <laughs> debate. That's So he's saying these people who are doing this, these are all the sins that they do. Debate is in there. So being disagreeable is in there. Well, being disagreeable doesn't send you to hell. I, mean, I guess unless you're just disagreeing about the cross. Yeah, maybe. But disagreeable. Let's continue. Deceit. Malignity. Whisperers. 
backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that which they that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We're going to continue next, because the next verse is a part of it. Therefore, you can't have a therefore unless it means the words before it, but have pleasure in them that do them. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judge another, Thou condemn thyself, for thou that judge do the same things. So he's making the point, you can't judge another person's soul because we do the same things. He just made a list that is so encompassing. Encompassing, Everybody's guilty of that. Everybody's guilty in there somewhere. Everyone. So let's, for our closing point, let's jump to 1 Corinthians 6. Because this is the part where the Calvinists will use, and this is the few times that non-Calvinist Baptists and Calvinists will agree on something. But 1 Corinthians 6, and people will say, well, yeah, but if you practice a sin or something, you can't be. That's true that if you practice a sin, you need to focus on whether or not you're really saved, because do you really believe what you're saying? But in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Yo, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, sure. The unrighteous will not inherit. That makes sense. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminate, or, or abusers of themselves, of mankind. That's, again, those two there is effeminate, homosexuals, and those who are prostitutes. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You say, okay, so right there it said people who practice homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God. 11. And such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Such were some of you. So if it says homosexuality, and then Paul says, and such were some of you, he's talking to saved people. That means it can't be a reprobate doctrine because they were and are no longer. Now, somebody says, well, yeah, but it's a practice sin if you do these things. Okay, so you're going to tell me that once a person was saved, they never again committed adultery, idolatry, lied, fought, gossiped, or else they were immediately unsaved the moment they did it, or were never saved because they did it. We all fall. We all, these are sins that we are all, we are all taken unto every day. But the reason why they're not accounted is because they're under the blood. Therefore, we are without excuse. We know the truth. And we are to try to do better. But we have a Savior that covered it all under the blood. 
all sins. Everybody, everywhere is without excuse, but everybody, everywhere can be saved if you're willing to bring the gospel. Now, some people may allow their prejudices to keep them away, but personally, I want everybody who can to be saved because I don't know the will of God. I don't know who he wants to be saved and who he doesn't want me to talk to and who he does. I might as well talk to everybody. I might as well try to get everybody. The reason why I say that it's not just stupid, which it is, but it is dangerous, is because it puts you in the place of God. And how dare you tell God what he can and cannot do. He will do what he chooses to do, and what he does is right. You can choose to be in compliance with him to get yourself under his umbrella and avoid the rain, or you can choose to fight against it, or you can choose to sit there and tell God what he can and can't do, who he can and cannot save, or you can get with the program and bring the gospel to everybody because you don't know who is going to benefit from you. And that's the only purpose for us to be the body of Christ is because we have hands to serve, eyes to see, and feet to walk and carry the gospel to those who need it. And who needs it more than somebody who is stuck in a lifestyle of sin? May every one of us take ourselves out of the place of God, knock ourselves off the pedestals, and be willing to take the gospel wherever and whenever God calls us. Let's bow our heads today for prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and this time. I thank you for these people, and I thank you for this Bible, that if we are willing to put ourselves into subjection of you, it makes so much sense, and it is, it is ultimately the easiest thing to follow, because all we have to do is just stay in your will. You will provide for yourself. May everyone in here have gotten something and look forward to the rest of the time they have on this earth. They will go be the sight, the, the salt, the light, and be the workers who bring the gospel. May we all be safe. May we all be warm as we go out our different ways. And may we all bring the gospel in our hearts and manifest it onto a dark world. As for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.